saw it the moment he walked into the room. Past the sleep in his eyes and the yawn fighting its way past his hand, its presence struck him with the weight of a hammer blow. Kuroka Morse was back. Early. The ancestral blade adorned its rightful place once more. Within the glass display case affixed to their wall, he couldn't keep his eyes from it, even as he tucked into the fried eggs and bacon Juniper had so lovingly curated. It felt like a weight upon his shoulders, a reminder of his duty ahead of him. Jean's taken me to the arcades. Amber forced the words past the food in her mouth, spilling crumbs out onto her plate. Oh? Nicholas leaned forward to rest his chin on one hand. I'm gone a few days and my little angel has already replaced me. And there was that, too. Obviously, Kurokamoros hadn't travelled home on its own. It was the first time he'd seen his father for, well, for a few years. But decades since he tried to connect with the man, he was a stranger in all but name. Apparently, he'd done his best to finish the mission early, and instead of coming back tomorrow, had managed to make it today. Either way, that was good news for Jean. A single day, or two days even, might not seem like much, but to him it was a serious matter. Back when all this had started, when things had been new, exciting and filled with hope, Jean had focused on experimentation, trying as many different things as he could to influence the future, to see what could save them all. It was only natural, really, a chance to redo life, at least however much of it he had at Beacon. That was hardly something he could afford to give up. Plus, he could take things in a different way, prevent certain disasters. Such had been the theory. A shame it hadn't held up. There were certain things that always happened, that would continue to happen no matter what he did. Cinder would attack Vale. It didn't matter what team he was on, how strong he was, or what he ate for breakfast on any given day. It was her plan, and she would enact it. It would be at the Breach, or it would be at a Mighty. And that one time, where he'd managed to actually sabotage the Vital Festival, so that it never happened. It had been in the dead of night, when no one had warning. There were some things he could change, that he could affect, but there were things he just couldn't. Ruby would get into Beacon, Cinder would attack Vale, the White Fang would be involved, General Ironwood and his robots would come to the city, Blake would be discovered as a Faunus and have her panic moment. Those were just a few events that occurred which didn't rely on him. As much as he went back in time whenever he died, it didn't mean life revolved around him. It wasn't the same as picking a team. He could let Pyrrha's Javelin hit him, in which case she would be his partner, or he could duck out of the way, in which case his partner would just be about anyone. Again, it depended on which landing pad he used and who he was placed near. Each one shot into different locations, and in many cases it was random chance, unless he specifically hunted someone down. There were other things too, which he tried again and again. Telling Ozpin, Ironwood, hell, even trying to tell Roman on the off chance he'd be able to swing the thief to his side. He tried using future knowledge, hidden secrets, even codes and passwords they might give him in the future. None of it worked. Too suspicious. Too crazy an idea. Even those rare moments when he managed to reveal intel they should have known it was impossible for him to acquire. They simply assumed he was a spy for Cinder. Insane asylums had been bad enough, especially when Cinder would send Neo to remove him as a loose end. But being tortured by Ironwood, with Osborne's reluctant approval, no less, that had been the final straw. 
It had been a sober wake-up call for the idealistic fool he'd once been. He couldn't tell anyone. Railing against the fact, or any of the things he couldn't change, was pointless. The trick, he realised far too late into his new life, was not to change things so dramatically, not to go wild and make great alterations. It was to better have forewarning of events that were to come, rather than roll the dice and his friends' lives. The more radical the change he made, the worse things got. He learned that one time, early on, when he managed to set a bomb in Cinder's room, killing the three of them in one blow, before they could even enact the breach. It had seemed like the perfect solution, up until the White Fang attacked with Adam. Cutting off the head of the snake only caused the body to thrash about wildly, and suddenly, what had once been a targeted attack on Beacon, was a massacre amongst the streets of Vale, with far worse consequences. He tried joining Cinder too, swallowing his pride and feelings in an effort to feel out her plan. That had brought its own failure. Cinder didn't care for, nor trust, those beneath her. Even then, she seemed to be answering to someone else anyway, someone he could neither find nor contact. She hadn't shared any of her plans with him and all he learned was a few specific locations where she kept dust or supplies. But she didn't need either to attack Beacon, not with the army of Grimm she brought with her. Over and over, he must have tried new and unique angles for over 30 years, with varying degrees of failure. There'd be no rhyme or reason to it, no system. He'd just done whatever seemed like an idea at the time, hoping that something would work out, that something would stick. Disorganized, chaotic. He'd been lacking the most important thing, a plan, a strategy. It had taken him decades to get to where he was now, to reach a realization he had, and it had been so simple too. It all came down to one thing. The amount of time he survived into Beacon determined how much preparation time he had before Beacon. It was profit and loss. If he stuck to the same plan each time, encountered the same foes each time, then he could slowly work his way through them. Four knowledge and training time before Beacon allowed him to tailor what he needed to know to each enemy meaning that he gained just a little bit more time on each run. That meant he got more time to train on the next run, which meant he could get even more on the next time, over and over, slowly gaining ground, trying different things, those differing angles that he'd never tried before, that induced risk, elements he couldn't prepare for, because they tended to explode in unpredictable ways. If any of those elements killed him, then he'd have less time to prepare on the next attempt. That was a big deal. When he'd spent the last 20 or so years building up to this point, taking the same choices, sticking to a single plan, allowing the things he knew were coming to happen, but taking steps to limit the damage. That allowed him foreknowledge of what was coming, which meant that each time, with that extra bit of training time he had managed to claw back, he could be stronger when he had to do it again. And then, with that extra time, be it a month, or just two weeks, he could eke out another few days, giving him even more time to prepare. Getting to this point, of having just over two years of time to train and prepare, before Beacon even started, that had not been an easy task, and every single day had been earned in sweat and blood. Eventually though, it would pay off, if he kept gaining time, kept making it just that little bit further, then eventually he would break through. He tried wild ideas, new angles and crazy strategies. For decades he tried them, 
over and over again. They didn't work. There was no magic solution. No lucky break where he'd said the right thing to Pyrrha and she'd kick ass. He tried that too, encouraging her to take the Maiden's powers early. Same results as usual. But this? This would work. The patient approach. Erosion. One chip at a time he'd wear away at their plan. Anyone else might have called him foolish. Accused him of being a man trying to dig through a well with his fingernails. But the thing was, if you had all the time in the world to do it, then eventually you break through. He would break through. And everyone would live to tell the tale. He would make sure of it. Which was why time was of the essence. He had to leave as soon as possible, so that those extra days he could put to proper use. It would already take a few days to break his body in, to drop all those bad habits he had as a child, rid himself of the useless fat and build up his stamina. There just wasn't the time for sitting around doing nothing. That's generous of you, kiddo. Something touched the top of his head, and so lost in thought was he that the sensation made him flinch. Nicholas' darker eyes met his own, a small hint of concern within them. Damn. His wandering mind. He needed to put a stop to that before people started to get suspicious. His father turned to Amber, though, not before giving one final worried look. And here I was going to take my little girl out shopping when I got back. The older man reached out to wipe a napkin across Amber's mouth. The girl bore it without patience, squirming against his hold, which only served to spill more food around the table. You can take me tomorrow, Daddy. Amber compromised magnanimously, with that infallible logic only a child could possess. Jean just nodded dumbly along, a small seed of guilt worming its way within his stomach. He would be going to the arcade with Amber, all right, but he would be abandoning her there using her as a distraction though he could sneak back when they went to collect her, so that he had a chance to steal Kurokomors and leave. It was for the best. For everyone. Them included. Cinder's plan would spread across all Remnant eventually. Make sure to have her back by five, the older man teased, and if I hear about any funny business, we'll be having words, young man. Ha ha. Yeah. The laughter sounded weak. Even to him and he didn't fail to notice the way his father's eyes narrowed, the creases about his eyes deepening. He's feeling a little under the weather. Juniper came to his rescue, leaning over to explain to Nicholas. I think it's fine. He's just been tired. The man accepted with a nod, sparing a brief concerned look for him before being distracted by the other conversations at the table. It would be fine. Things would sort themselves out when he got into the wilderness to train. Out there would be the same routine as ever, a comfortable constant he could rely on. In a few days, he wouldn't even remember any of this. Anzo, the settlement where they lived, was a strange location. Calling it a village would be a disservice, while it wasn't quite large enough to classify as a town. The settlement, for lack of better term, was one of the many dotted around Vale, close enough to the city to retreat to if needed while also far enough away to have some level autonomy. The air was cleaner too, away from the mass of industry. Juniper had often joked that it was where successful hunters came to retire, a quint quidsy town where the elderly could routinely kick the ass of the young if they ever felt like it. It had all the amenities one would expect of a town, from the school building, a mere fragment the size of Beacon, but then again it would only need to accommodate a hundred students at most. There was no hospital, but there was a large building where the resident doctor lived, 
with enough beds to fit 20 or so people in if needs be. And, whenever humanity set up, so did an economy to surround them. Shops, a small grocery and a weekly market. Most of it was more suited to the mature populace of the area. For the children, there were only three options really. The library, for the 1% who actually enjoyed that kind of thing. Or, the arcade and park for the other 99%. Seeing it all again was a blast from the past. The squat building ring with flashing lights and garlish signs. From within came what could only be called a tortured symphony of beeps, boops, technical music, and childish squeals. It hurt his ears to even look at it. I remember being so excited whenever we came here. His blue eyes looked over some of the machines outside, including those hook-grabbing things that were so clearly rigged. How many times did I make Nicholas and Juniper try to win one of those? He didn't think they ever had, not for lack of trying. Nicholas had taken it as a personal challenge, only giving up when his wife dragged him away by the collar. Gods, that was so long ago. Big brother, Amber whined, tugging on his arm with an impatient expression. Come on, we need to hurry. What if all the machines are taken? There aren't enough children in all of Anzol for that, he sighed, allowing her to drag him into the building. The music was louder inside, if that were even possible. And with over a hundred different machines playing different melodies, it couldn't even really be called music anymore. More like white noise in 8-bit form. You did to bring Lion, remember? Yes, Amber. As though he'd dare forget. She'd have sent him marching all the way back home to collect some more. Either way, Juniper had forced some into his hands as he left the house, making him promise to have some of it for food and drink. Luckily, or unluckily, given the noise, the arcade also had a small diner in it. No one used it, since most of the kids squandered their line on tokens and games, but it was there. Strange what memories come back, even though this was one so deeply buried behind Beacon and the fighting. Maybe if he'd spent less time here, he wouldn't have needed to fake his entry into Beacon. Either way, he already pocketed a portion of the money, sequestered a way to bolster what he could steal when he left. Money made the world go round after all. Amber ratted off some details about the last time she was here. After school with some friends, or something, Jean paid only half attention, handing a portion of their line over to the only adult in the area. A young man, perhaps 19 or so, with an utterly defeated look on his face. The teen handed back some tokens in exchange, barely even seen Jean or Amber, but going through the motions nonetheless. Jean could emphasize. Truly he could. So, we're here, Jean pointed out, perhaps the most needless comment he made for some time. What do you want to do first? That one, Amber said, pointing towards a set of screens placed before two large seats. Some kind of a racing game, with steering wheels and pedals. Jean passed her a silvery token as he climbed into the seat next to her. Bet she can't beat me. We'll see. He rolled his eyes, but humored her nonetheless. Pressing the bright start button once the machine had registered his token. The concept seemed simple enough. There wasn't a gear stick or a clutch, which felt a little odd. But then again, he hadn't exactly been formally trained. But you didn't get to be Roman Torchwick's getaway driver without learning fast. And driving faster. If he could maneuver a lorry filled of explosive dust around the streets of Vale while being chased by the cops, this 
would be a cakewalk. It's not a very realistic representation of driving. The blonde boy sighed as his sister dragged him away. That was the only explanation for how good she was at the game. No one likes a sore loser, Amber giggled. Maybe that's why you're still single. What does an 11 year old know of dating? He wondered aloud. There was a small temptation to point out that actually he'd had plenty of girlfriends in his time. There was only so many times he could live his lives and not notice Pyrrha's attention. Then there'd been Velvet once or twice, Ruby, Reese, hell. Even Coco once, for a very short time. Not to mention the host of casual relationships, sometimes for comfort, sometimes just for the sake of it. That had been a long time ago, however, you could only watch your lover die, revive, then forget you so many times. After going through that over and over, it soon lost its appeal. Win me something then, the small girl demanded. Look it up at him as though it was her birthright to command him. I want a teddy, a toy, a pony. The list went on, including such things as crowns, a kingdom, and a boyfriend. Someone really needs to have a talk with her sisters if she's picking up things like this. It would take some time to win her any of those things. Machines that gave prizes tended to print out tickets, which then you needed to collect and exchange at the counter. Even if he played perfectly, the ironic part was the prize would be less than what you spent to get it. That was how the place made its profit, after all. But this would be her last memory of him, once he ran away. Would it be really so bad? To spend a little time making it a pleasant one? I'll win you something. The answer was instant. I promise. If he left now, if he took his original plan and abandoned her here at the arcade, she would be hurt. Of course. But worse than that, would she think it was her fault that he had run away because he couldn't stand her? He couldn't be that cruel, even if it meant he lost another day of training. Even if in the end the pain would still be the same, because he'd still be gone. He'd make sure she knew it wasn't because of her. Mummy says you shouldn't promise things you can't keep. The little girl pointed out in a surprising moment of maturity. Trust in your big brother a little, hmm? He formed one hand against his chest, trying to match the confident smile he picked up at Beacon. With his scrawny limbs and gangly 14-year-old frame, he wasn't sure it worked. But, when she had the crane her neck to look up at him anyway, it was enough to bring a Beatrix smile to her face. <coughs> she nodded. Skipping ahead of him towards the machines that gave out prize tickets. We have 50 or so tokens for play left. He considered as he looked down at the small bag of clunking silver coins. Not really currency. They were simply rounded metal which the machines would recognize. The big prizes needed 100 prize tickets. And the machines could give out anywhere from 1 to 5 depending on how well you do. His mind whirled. Considering not only the basic math behind it but also which games would best suit his rather specific skill set. It was strategy on a childish scale, an affront to the skills as a leader he bled and literally died to earn. He was used to assigning teammates, but making decisions that could mean life or death. But that didn't make them any less applicable here. Intelligence-based games are out. I'm old enough to know a lot, but all my knowledge is about grim and fighting, not trivial. Especially not trivia from a period I haven't lived for decades. I know more about Mercury than I do most celebrities. His eyes flicked over a strength tester, something where you had to punch the pads when it told you to. It would then rank you based on whatever it used to measure your strength. There were currently a teen already on it, 
He's trying to buy a few cheering friends. That might be an option. His physical prowess wasn't something he could bring back with him each time, but there was more to throwing a punch than brute strength. It was all about the footwork, how to throw your weight behind it, even how to minimize the damage to yourself and cause more to your opponent. Yang had taught him about that a long time ago, though he'd also picked up bits and pieces from Ren. Two very different styles for what was essentially hand-to-hand -hand combat. Jean, I'm thinking, he whispered. Considering what other strengths he might still have. Reactions? Perhaps. His mind was a steel vice, quick to notice and react to things. And while his body might not have the same speed, would be better than a normal boy his age. That was the closest thing he could think of. Since there wasn't likely going to be any games that let him physically fight someone. How about that shooting game? He suggested, drawing the girl's attention to some kind of grim hunting machine. It was really just a large flat screen, which played a game where Grimm would charge you down a corridor while you shoot at them with large plastic handguns. They'd never be enough to truly kill a Beowulf, not with a single shot anyway, but that was part of the game's design. In a world where your life could be ended if you gave up too much negativity, propaganda had a very important place in society. Show that Grimm is weak, uphold the image of hunters as absolute heroes, to the point where children's tales would all be about good triumphing over evil. It was all carefully designed to maintain the mood of the populace, to ensure their safety by making them believe in their own invincibility. He hated that truth, once he found out about it, but now, with a few years behind him, he could see the value in it. Was it truly cruel to manipulate people like that, when it was not only for their own happiness, but for their survival? It made the presence of hunters as much as weapons as the ones they wielded. A besieged and beleaguered town would rise up and cheer and sing when his team arrived. Ironically, doing more to hinder the presence of Grimm than any of the four people could. A small hand poked against his ribs, snapping him from his own thoughts as Amber pouted up at him. Ah, the impatience of a youth. He really needed to stop getting lost in his own thoughts. Dual wield? He chuckled to himself as he picked up the plastic guns, getting used to their weight. He could already imagine Ruby glaring at him. That silent threat of what she'd do to him if he actually believed dual wielding was a good idea. Don't worry. I'm not. Yeah! Go, John! Amber cheered as the lights flashed and his screen started to move, stimulating a man walking through an abandoned building. John's right arm rose, the left still slack at his side as he readied himself. Sword had always been his thing, and likely always would be, but learning how to use a gun had seemed an obvious choice once he settled into the repeats, and who better to learn from than Ruby Rose herself? A small smile spread across his lips as the first crim appeared, fading away in an immediate shot to the head. Amber cheered. Actually, asking for help with guns from Ruby had been a bit of a mistake. He'd always known the girl loved weaponry but hadn't realized quite how much. Not until the words left his mouth and Ruby's face lit up like a Christmas tree. Hours upon hours, she didn't allow a rest. Not until he was capable of firing a pistol and hitting a target consistently at 20 meters. And that had only been the beginning. On the bright side, it had only taken him a few weeks to become proficient at firearms. On the downside, 
He'd been so tired and missed so much homework that he'd been made to sit through detentions of Miss Goodwitch for a solid month. That was so long ago. The gun clicked empty, and he allowed it to fall to his side as he drew up his left arm, adjusting his footing slightly to account for the change, while the right started to automatically reload, a small timer appearing on the screen. He continued firing with his left, downing a grim with each accurate shot. That's my brother! A voice cheered as he noticed a few people beginning to crowd around them to watch. He didn't let it distract him. Turning once more to bring up the freshly reloaded gun, his left arm folding behind his back. More grim. They upgraded to Ursa, though it made no real difference. They still died in a single shot to the face. They simply moved a little quicker. A falsy. Beowulfs were far more agile than their coversome brethren. Ursa were larger, stronger, and much more robust. It was always best to separate a limb, allow them to bleed out, or, if you could, cut off their head with a single strike. Taking one down of a single handgun would be an odorous task. At the very least, you'd need some kind of explosive dust, or maybe a heavily modified weapon, like Ironwoods. You're at an arcade, Jean. Keep it together. They didn't even look like Grim, more like polygons with red eyes. So of a shake of his head, he broke free of such morbid thoughts. The final grim fell, breaking in the polygons as the screen faded to white. High score, no damage, 100% accuracy, the crowd cheered. That was amazing! Amber gasped, leaping onto his back as he pulled the tickets from the machine. She didn't weigh enough to knock him over and he managed to adjust her before he could hit his head onto the screen. Oh my god, I didn't think you'd be so good at it. What did you learn to do that? Uh, here, mostly. He lied, counting the tickets as she wrapped her legs around his waist to keep herself secured. Play it enough times and you start to remember where they all come from. Ten tickets. That was quite a lot, actually. A shame he couldn't repeat his success for, however, since there was now a long queue for the machine. The other kids eager to try and equal his score. You have to teach me that, please. The words were innocent, but they caused him to swallow nonetheless. That was a promise he could neither make nor keep. Maybe one day, he instead said, committing it to memory. One day he would try to keep that promise to teach his little sister how to win at a simple arcade game. After all the fighting and the death, it would be a worthy quest. There was an entire list of such promises. Things he had to do once it was all over. Let Ruby craft him a new weapon. Visit Valco with Sun and Neptune. Introduce Pyrrha to his sisters. The list was huge and ever-growing. Before she could protest, he reached out to rub her messy hair. But not today, Squirt. We still need to get you a prize. Not a squirt. She hissed, pushing his hand from her hair, trying to push it back into some sense of order. Jean could only shake his head, smiling down on her as she pouted and fussed. His next choice was an egg-catching game, one where he needed to move a small basket using a lever so that it would catch plastic eggs as they fell through a maze. Again, a simple game meant for simple minds, where children might seek to react to how they fell, moving the basket about wildly, he simply waited a few minutes beforehand, memorizing which entrance led to which exit. Five minutes later, he had another five tickets to add to the tally, and with no cues gathering, he quickly ran through it another five times. Up until Amber got bored anyway. Apparently, even in the pursuit of a prize, he needed to keep her entertained on different machines. Such a demanding little sister. Let's take a break, 
he suggested after the next set of games, where he managed to eke out another six tokens from two rounds of throwing balls into holes. His accuracy with throwing didn't quite match up to guns, sadly, likely because he wasn't used to his own strength. That and the fact he never really bothered to learn it. Pyrrha was the only one who really liked to throw her weapon. Then again, she had the benefit of being able to control it mid-flight, and then bring it back again, only to have some lunch, he assured, when she looked ready to argue. Juniper's orders. Ju- You mean mum? <sighs> Fine. She gave in, though she stomped one foot and crossed her arms, just to show it was on sufferance. But right after that, you need to get back to winning. Of course, my lady. Now come on. Your banquet awaits.